Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we continue the series, One in Christ, a study of Ephesians. One of the great comforts to Christians down through the ages has been the promise of heaven. Even the Apostle Paul says that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us, Romans 8.18. Having a rock solid confidence that your future is secure in the hands of God changes everything. This Sunday's message is taken from Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, and is entitled Heirs Together. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul calls Christians of varying backgrounds, both Jews and Gentiles, to work together. We need each other. We are to stand together. We are to pray together. We are to persevere together. Let's come and be the church together. Good to see all of you. Uh, Heard last Sunday was great. Thanks. Thankful that Justin was here, and I haven't heard the sermon yet, but I've been told repeatedly I need to hear it, so that was good. It was just a blessing, so praise God for those who carry on faithfully. And um, uh, this morning, uh, I love all the songs we're singing. This is Reformation Sunday, and if I was to choose a text in all of Ephesians, and again, I know many of us would go to chapter 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith. We'd go there on Reformation Sunday. But I'm going to show you this morning, this is probably one of the best passages to study in Ephesians on Reformation Sunday. But let's begin with a word of prayer and ask for God's help that we might uh, see Christ together in the Word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we open up the Word, we ask that the Spirit would open up our hearts and our minds. Show us, Jesus. Wherever we are, whatever's been on our minds the last days, or even while we're sitting here, standing here, singing and worshiping, we ask, dear God, that you would part the clouds and let us see Christ. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that in Christ we have this great, glorious hope. Father, where there is hope lacking today in our hearts, where there is a lack of assurance or where there's a struggle with confidence regarding the future, where we're uncertain about our well-being, we just ask, dear God, that you would show us Jesus again. Not only so that we could see Jesus for ourselves, but that we could see Jesus for one another. That we might be the people together that you've called us to be. So we ask for your blessing through Christ. Amen. In uh, 1913, the American uh, government called uh, all remaining people that were still alive to Gettysburg to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Civil War, the turning point in the Civil War. And so there were many who were still alive and made their way to Gettysburg, and they showed up either with their Union outfits or their uniforms or their Confederate uniforms, and they uh, camped out. They met people. They looked for uh, former soldiers that they had known in the past and, and had survived the war in. But kind of the central moment of that weekend commemorating this 50th anniversary of the Civil War was a reenactment of Pickett's Charge, uh, the moment when the Confederate South under Pickett thought that they could overwhelm the Union soldiers, and they failed. They made a valiant effort. Thousands were killed in the battle. 
And so the Confederate soldiers lined up where they had been, and the Union soldiers were behind the wall where they were waiting, and then they heard the Confederate cry, went out, as the Confederate soldiers made their charge. But witnesses at the time said the moment the Confederate soldiers made that charge, they could hear an audible moan behind the wall of the Union soldiers. They were supposed to hesitate and time it according to what actually happened. But as soon as they heard the Confederate cry, they all moaned and came out, running as fast as they could, making their way to the Confederate soldiers. But this time, the scene was radically different. They were weeping. They were embracing one another. Instead of slaughtering their peers, they were celebrating life. Uh, looking back, can you imagine the PTSD of those moments in the Civil War? These powerful, broken moments. And then envision what it must have been like to be embracing someone. Some of them in their uniforms still had piercings. Bayonet piercings, and bullet piercings in their uniforms they were wearing. Embracing their former enemies and realizing 50 years later they were in a better life. Now I use that because I think that's a powerful illustration of the gospel. It, it, it's actually what is happening in the letter to the Ephesians where the Apostle Paul is telling us of what we have in Jesus Christ and depicting to us what our future is. We have a glorious hope in Jesus Christ. And the way he kind of just rolls out the gospel. He just lets it roll out. He says, do you know that we were chosen in God's love before the foundation of the world? It's all one long run-on sentence. We were predestined unto adoption as sons by God. He, he made us His own children in love. He redeemed us. We have redemption in Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of our sins through His blood. His blood was spilt. You can imagine that Confederate Union scene where the blood that was spilt ended with liberty and freedom, not just for them, but for many in America who had been held in captivity. They're celebrating. We have been set free. We have been redeemed. We're forgiven and let go by God. And then in the text that we're seeing today, we've been given in the Gospel a great hope of glory for eternity. Can you imagine when you and I get to heaven? And we are in the liberty of the gospel. When we are experiencing not what the Confederate and Union soldiers had experienced 50 years after that moment, but experiencing in our lives what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, never to sin again, never to battle death again, never to face the curse, never to have the, the, the deep night dreams and anguish of pain and heartache. All of it gone, all of it gone, all of it gone. That's our hope. That's our inheritance. Paul pours this out puts it in great detail, calls us to rejoice and celebrate in it now because what he wants us to do is to envision what we have in Christ as the people of God and live it out now in the church. 
Wouldn't it have been far better for those soldiers? How many of them would say only if we could have gone back and walked across that field and hugged one another rather than cried and shot at one another? In Ephesians, Paul is calling us to unity. But he's calling us to unity by showing the grace of God in the gospel, by announcing to us that you and I have this great heritage, this great inheritance, this eternal hope in Jesus Christ. And that hope ought to bring us together. My dear friends, one day we're going to get along real well. One day we're going to love one another the way we ought to love one another. Aren't you glad that that's our destiny by the gospel I do want to thank you for praying for me as I went up to Weagamow Lake I do want to tell the folks at Weagamow Lake that it was an honor to be with you I found out that the pastor and his wife listen to Waterbrook every week when they're traveling so praise God we're glad that we can continue to serve alongside you but it was an interesting privilege for me to go I was way up there I went to the end of the road (laughs) Uh, I got what I thought was way up there up into a place called Pickle Lake and and uh, as we were leaving Pickle Lake we still had a ways to go and they asked us where are you going we said we're going to Weagamow every single person looked at us and said drive safe (laughs) we brought my this this six foot three six foot four Dutch brother that was with me driving this forerunner up there we just looked at each other after the fourth person and said where are we going <laughs> or what are we going to be about to see but it was a it was a glorious time but here's here let me tell you the humbling thing about being there let me tell you a couple of things number one is you know I, I've often thought man on Sunday mornings how slow Waterbrook is to come into worship now I'm okay <laughs> The services were like three and a half to four hours long and started at seven. I, I preached the, the opening and the, and the end closing of the conference. And at seven o'clock when the service started, it was on the radio and they were talking to the people in the community by the radio. The worship band was up. All the guests were there. There, there was hardly a person from Egamau Fellowship in the sanctuary when the service started. Ivan, the pastor, I thought, are you going to wait till people show up? He was not going to wait because this is how it works. And then for two hours, people came in. Not 20 minutes late. For two hours, they streamed and we sang and we prayed and we worshiped. And I got up to preach about nine o'clock at night uh, or later. And then it went till, I went till about, you know, they gave me 45 minutes to hour. I did 45 minutes, thought to keep it short, you know. (laughs) And uh, I, 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 I preached for that period of time. And then they started singing again and praying again. And then uh, Howard Jolly, a native leader who was leading worship, he then spoke. And then we prayed and sang again. So we were worshiping for three or four hours at night. Then we fellowshiped <laughs> afterwards. It was, it was a gift to be there. But you know what was really the gift about being there? Every single one of the native leaders had been sexually violated by Christians and several of them uh, one in in a residential school and one by a white Anglican priest Ivan my good friend Ivan told his story of forgiving the priest who had sexually violated them and the stories of sexual abuse and the stories of suicide 
were repeated all weekend as I interacted with people. And as me, a white, bald, old preacher coming into that community, I thought, what a privilege it is that I'm welcomed into this community and that they want me to open up the Word of God. But one of the preachers, uh, Gary Quigquish, who I've met before, um, Gary got up and spoke to the community uh, during one of his lectures, and he said to them in Canada, he says, right now in Canada, we are going through a, a, a season of truth and reconciliation between Canadians and the native peoples. And he said really clearly from the front to uh, his, he actually had come to Christ in that community in Weagamau. And he, he said to the people, I, I want to tell you something. There is no truth without Jesus Christ. And there is no reconciliation without the gospel. And it made me overjoyed. It was just an honor to be there and to be amongst these people and to realize I'm going to spend an eternity with these brothers and sisters in Christ where we have this carnage of of life experience, but that's not our inheritance and that's not our destiny. We have a far better story. The other thing I, I want you to see in the text this morning is that's why the Reformation was so important. That's what, that's what Martin Luther was fighting for in a sense. He was fighting to rescue people from spiritual abuse by clergy. That somehow the clergy ha- held the keys to the kingdom. That they had control over the word of God. That you were somehow saved through access and mediation, not just by Christ, but by the church and by other means. And Luther was coming along and saying, if it's by works, if it's by my religious duties, I have no hope. And then he announced it was in Christ alone. Let me show you the five principles of the Reformation, then I'm going to show you them in the text today that you can celebrate what God has done for us in Christ. If you've been in the church for any length of time, you probably know these uh, five principles of the Reformation, but I've got them in the wrong order here, but they're up here. In Latin, it's sola scriptura. Scripture alone has the authority over God's people. Solus Christus, in Christ alone, we've been singing that this morning, is our salvation. Sola gracia, or sola fide, by faith alone are we saved, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Sola um, gracia, by grace alone. And in this passage, Paul makes a big deal out of this. Soli Deo gloria, glory to God for our salvation alone. He gets the glory and all the glory. That doesn't matter what our background is. That doesn't matter what our education is. That doesn't matter how good we think our experience is or how bad it is. Here's the good news we have in Jesus Christ, the one who has given us eternal security and hope. And we have that together in him. So as you look at this passage of Scripture, this is what the Apostle Paul's doing. He does it at the end of the text. He basically says to the Gentile believers as a Jewish leader who was a Pharisee and quite 
righteous and zealous as a Pharisee, he said, I want to tell you that I was saved by grace alone. He tells that he has been given this inheritance by grace alone through Christ alone. I want to tell you my story. And he says, I want to acknowledge that that's your story as well. And that's how the text divides up. Paul's testimony is simply this. I've been saved by grace alone to the glory of God alone. Look at the text of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. He says, in him, in who? In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, in Christ alone, Solus Christus is how the reformers would say it. Paul is beginning by saying an interesting statement as a Jew, as a zealous Jew, as a Pharisee. He is saying this, my hope is in Christ alone, not my religious performance and not my zealousness. And what he's doing, I I want you to notice, I'm actually going to jump in just a little bit. Go to verse 8, or sorry, verse 12 there, uh, to the so that. So you can hear Paul's argument. He, he says in verse 11, in Christ, in him, in Christ alone, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the, to the praise of his glory. Uh, I want you to hear that so that. Paul's saying, we who were the first to hope in Christ, and when he says that, he's talking about himself and the Jewish believers to whom Christ came, and they were the first recipients in Christ. He said it was in Christ that we got this inheritance by the power of God so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And what he's saying here is, I'm not saved because I'm a Jew, I'm not saved because I'm a Pharisee. I wasn't saved because I was more zealous than my peers. I was saved by grace through Christ. In Him, He's saying. And I want you to see that. God saved us first in the way that He saved us in Christ so that God would get the glory and the story would be to praise to Jesus Christ. That was a big issue. In Acts chapter 15, there's actually the first church council. Gabe read from one of the church councils, the council at Nicaea, where we sing this, said this statement, uh, this confession, this creed that we hold to. There have been councils down through the ages. The first church council in Acts 15 was the question of whether or not a Gentile had to become a Jew in order to be a Christian. Did you have to obey the law? And after this discussion... They, they, they came to an agreement, the apostles, and sent out Paul to deliver the message. No, just stay away from sexual sin and don't eat food sacrificed to idols. But you have received the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. In the next verse that we'll study in a moment, he says, in him you also. And when Paul says in Ephesians, you also, he's always talking to the Gentiles. Take your Bible and turn to chapter 2, verse 11. Paul will regularly do this contrast between 
the Jews and the Gentiles. He says in verse 11 of chapter 2, Remember that at, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. You know, we were this and you were that. And he speaks of the Gentiles. You were called the uncircumcision by the circumcision which is made in the flesh. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So he's saying, I was a Jew and we had the promises of God. We had the covenants of God. We had the Mosaic law. We had the Abrahamic covenant. We had the Noahic covenant. We had the Davidic covenant. We had all these promises, but those promises didn't save us They only pointed us to the one who could. But he said, you didn't have any of that. You were without hope in God. But look at verse 13. But now in Christ, solus Christus, in Christ alone, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace who's made us both one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, listen to this, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross therefore killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far and peace to those who are near. See what Paul's saying here? In Christ, I as a Jew became one of God's chosen people in its truest sense. I received the inheritance in Christ and you too in Christ. That was how you are saved. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says it again, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul has the vision of the civil war (laughs) gathering. Paul has a vision of the day coming when Jews and Gentiles together will be gathered around Jesus, celebrating that their, their identity and their heritage and their future is tied not to what they had done, but what Christ has done on their behalf. Paul says in this passage, in him, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, I want to adjust this a little bit because there's a debate of whether or not the best translation is in him we have obtained an inheritance. And and simply speaking, the debate is whether uh, Paul was writing in him we have obtained an inheritance or in him we are God's inheritance. And the reason why the debate is there is because the word that's used in him we have an inheritance is the word which means to be chosen by lot. You know in the Old Testament when they drew lots to decide something? That word that is used here says in him we were chosen as God's lot. And the question is, is it saying that we have been chosen as a lot, meaning we've been allotted an inheritance, or is it saying that we are in fact God's inheritance? Listen to how the New International Version, the NIV translation of the Bible, translates it. 
it says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Brian Chapel in his commentary says, The passive voice of this to draw lot uh, favors the notion that we are made an inheritance rather than uh, that we have obtained an inheritance. And I would put it together and say this. You could probably translate it effectively this way. In Jesus, we are God's heirs. Because it brings together the idea that we are God's chosen people, but as his chosen people, we are inheritors of that great reality that is yet to come. You won't maybe recall immediately, but a couple of weeks ago, we talked that Paul said in verse 10 that God has a plan that he has had from before the foundation of the world, and that plan is to unite everything in heaven and on earth in Jesus Christ. There is a day coming when everything is going to be united in Christ, and we who are in Christ are heirs of that future. That's our heritage. We are going to be part of that. In the Old Testament, when this this word is used to be God choosing us as his lot, it talks about Israel as being God's possession. Listen to Deuteronomy 32, 8 to 9. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, and when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people uh, according to the numbers of the sons of God, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. That's the same phrase. We are God's chosen lot. And so Israel were, was, his, was his people. I think I got the next text here. I got the wrong address. I think I left the same thing. It's actually Psalm 33, 11 to 12. It says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people who he has chosen as his heritage. We are God's heirs. Paul will say that in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. If we are heirs, we are fellow heirs with Christ. Friends, do you understand you're an heir with Christ? That in God you're an inheritor of the kingdom of God. All the blessings, all the promises are yours in Christ's soul as Christus. So it's been given to you. I don't know what you're worried about today, but I'll tell you this, that in Christ you are an heir of God. You are His precious possession. And as His people you belong to Him forever and ever. And that's true whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. But He's saying God did this so that we might actually be. We were the chosen people who had wandered away, but we in Christ are in fact the special people who belong to God, the heirs of the kingdom of God. Now one commentator says Paul's real emphasis isn't so much on what we are, but how we got there. Notice what he says in this text of Scripture. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's Paul's main point. Paul will reemphasize that throughout the book of Ephesians. This is what I want to call sola gracia, which is by grace alone. 
Because in the Bible, grace is not simply what we often say. If I were to ask you the definition of grace, what's grace? Many of you would say unmerited favor, which is true. We're not getting what we deserve. But in the Bible, grace is more than just unmerited favor. Grace is God's power at work doing in us what we could not do and what we do not deserve. Paul asked God to take the thorn out of his flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And God says, my what? Grace is sufficient for you. My what? Power is perfected in weakness. And so in this text of Scripture, what Paul is, he uses three words here to, to kind of do a rat-a-tat-tat impact of truth upon your heart. God predestined you according to the purpose of God's counsel, which he works out according to his power. Grace is the power of God to do in you what you could never do. You know what you could never do? Stay faithful to God. And Paul says, God has so worked in me that I someone who was a rebel against God, someone who defied God in the sense that I was persecuting the church and defying Christ the Messiah such that I was interrupted on the, way, on the road to Damascus where Jesus comes to me and says, Saul, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? He's going, who am I persecuting? Lord, who am I persecuting? He knew it was the Lord. And the Lord said, it's me, Jesus. He struck blind and turned around. Paul didn't become an inheritor, an heir of the kingdom of God because of his righteousness, because of his will, because of his determination. He was saved by the power of God. He was saved by grace alone. That's true of every one of us. My dear friends, do you realize today it's by grace you've been saved? By the power of God it's been saved. He woke you up. I had these marvelous opportunities. On my way back from Weagamau, I got into Thunder Bay just in time. The guy I was driving with, Brum, he had a small group at his house. So we drove back. Still took us 12 hours or so to get there. But we got there, <laughs> exhausted, and came in, and a small group was meeting. And in that group, there were several people I knew. One of them was a, a woman that I hadn't seen in a long time. She's about... 80 years old, when she saw me, she threw her arms around me and hugged me. Before she left, she said to me, as we've been talking about the gospel, you were there. I remember when her husband died in her late 50s. And I was privileged to go and be with them and be with the family and share Christ. And she was cross-country skiing out in the woods after she had heard the gospel and God met her there. To this day, in her 80s, she still remembers the day. And it wasn't her earning her way, working her way. It wasn't me earning her way as the priest coming in to intercede. It was Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, causing her, Lazarus, come forth. And she awoke. She's been a woman's ministry leader, is to this day up there. How many stories of miraculous, marvelous conversions. Paul says it was God who purposed, and God has got the power to work out the counsel of his will, and he decided on that road, on that day, at that time, Saul of Tarsus would become the Apostle Paul. 
and changed my life. Isn't that glorious? Why? Soli Deo Gloria. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. Look what he says here in verse 12. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. It's God who gets the glory. It's God who has done the work. Listen to R.C. Sproul. He says, the reason the believer makes a good response is because in God, God in his sovereign election changes the disposition of the heart of the elect to effect a good response. I can take no credit for the response that I made for Christ. God not only initiated my salvation, he sowed the seed, he made sure the seed germinated in my heart by regenerating me by the power of the Holy Ghost. That regeneration is a necessary condition for the seed to take root and flourish from beginning to end salvations of the Lord who gets credit for your salvation the Lord to the praise of his glory to the praise of his glory the glory of his grace isn't a marvel you and I need to be stunned by that kind of like those civil war soldiers stunned that they're alive stunned that they're well stunned that they actually survived 50 years after that horrific nightmare of a day Are you stunned? Soli Deo Gloria. John Sebastian Bach, under every musical piece that he wrote, wrote the letters S-D-G. Everything he did was because of the glory of God, to the glory of God, because of the grace of God, soli deo gloria. Paul says that's why God saved me the way he did, so that he would get the glory and the praise. And then Paul says, that's my story, but it's your story too. You have the same story. You have the same heritage. You have the same direction. So the Ephesians testimony is essentially they too are heirs of God, trophies of God's grace, and testimony to God's saving power. Look what he says in verse 13. In him you also, Solus Christus. You Ephesian Christians weren't saved by becoming religious. You weren't saved by becoming Jewish covenant keepers. You were saved through Christ and Christ alone. He'll he'll expand on that in chapter 2. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise. In him also. Not only is it Solus Christus in Christ alone, but it's sola fide and sola scriptura. All the Reformation principles are here. How did the Ephesian Christians come to know Christ? It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's why in the time of the Reformation, people died to get the scriptures into the hands of lay people. Huss, you know, was one of the first forerunners of that. And there were others who, England and, and Germany and 
the Netherlands and other places, there was a rapid movement to try to get the Bible into the hands of the lay people because if they got the Word of God and began to read the Word of God, the Spirit of God would own the Gospel of the Word of God and awaken the dead and save souls. That's what happened. That's why they chanted and argued sola scriptura. That's why when Luther was debating justification by faith alone and he had all kinds of arguments against it, he argued back and he says, whether it was the, the fathers, and he would say, even if, you're, even if you reference the best theologians the church had ever had, that was not the authority by which men would be saved. Luther wrote, when they extol the authority of the fathers or they extol the authority of Augustine or of Gregory and likewise of the councils, our answer is those things have no claim on us. We demand the word. We can say the Nicene Creed because it reflects the truth of the gospel, but the authority in the church is not the Nicene Creed. The authority in the church is the gospel, the word of God given to us through the apostles. So, so when I get to Weagamau, my brother Ivan takes me and Brum, shows us where we're staying. And we're staying in the old parsonage. It's an old wooden house. We're in the wooden basement. Takes us down to this simple basement floor, a couple of mattresses on the floor. That's where we're going to stay. And then he introduces us to who we're staying with. And so we were staying in the same house with a guy named Gilbert and his two sweet girls, Faith and Alyssa, nine and seven, something like that. Gilbert is a towering guy, 6'3", 6'4". He's a tank of a guy. He's got tattoos down his neck. He talks like this, or lower. I can't even go how low he talked. So we did like three and a half hours of worship Friday night. We're at the church, and somehow we walk through the dark of the night back to the basement. There's three chairs in the basement outside our bedroom. So Brahm and I are just kind of debriefing. We're sitting down there, and in comes Gilbert. And Gilbert sits down in front of us. A year ago, Gilbert was the hellion of that community. He had been in and out of jail. He had committed violent crimes. He had 20 charges outstanding against him that he was in jail for. And he sat down in front of us with his Bible, and it was already a joy because his Bible was as weathered as somebody who had been a Christian for 20 years. And Gilbert said to us, several years ago I was in prison, and he said, I had a bad day. And he said, I climbed into my cell bed at night, and I decided to pray, God, if you're there, Teach me how to pray. He said, that's all I did. I went to sleep. Two days later, the guards show up at my door. They got four other guys who are cursing. <laughs> and he said, the guards are cursing too. And they tell me, you're going to chapel today. And he said, I had some words for them, but I had no choice. They needed five, and I was the fifth guy, so I went to chapel. So all the guys are complaining they have to go chapel in prison. He says, I go to chapel in prison. He says, there's three speakers. First two speakers get up. He said, the third speaker gets up, stands in front of us, and looks at me and points the finger. He said, I have not said this out loud to anyone. He points his finger at me, and he said, if you want to learn how to pray, here are four things you need to do. 
And he preached Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And then Gilbert preached that sermon to us <laughs> while we were sitting there. And he said, it was in that moment God began to call me out of darkness. And here he was. Six months ago, I think it was, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. We would come up in the morning. He has these two girls. And we were sleeping on these mattresses. They were all curled up in blankets on the floor. This big huddle. And this tough guy, this guy who had been charged with being a gang member, who had been charged with violent crime, who had been charged with selling drugs, had been charged with a whole litany of things, is teaching and reading the scriptures to his kids. My dear friend, sola scripture is not just a dogmatic doctrinal assertion. It is the very life by which God in his spirit comes and awakens the soul and seals us to be his own children. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Paul says, and you also when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation believed in him. He said you didn't fix your life. He's writing a letter that has adaptation that has to happen in life. You didn't correct everything. You just believed in him. And he said in him, when you heard the word of truth, this gospel of salvation, you believed. And in that moment, you were given the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit sealed you as an heir of God. In Acts chapter 15, when the council meets to ask the question, do Gentiles need to become Jews before they can become Christians? Or if they become Christians, they have to live like Jews. The argument gets settled when they testify that the, they saw evidence that the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, having come upon the Gentiles in Acts, was a new Pentecost in a sense that... that affirmed their Pentecost, the Jewish Pentecost, when they were saved not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Saved by faith in Christ. Children, the best thing you can do is open up that Bible and read about Jesus. And the best thing we can do is open up the Word week by week and point people to this Word of God because he says, in Him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. You've become heirs too with us. You have the same destiny. Grace alone, they were sealed and, and, and saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. But notice what Paul says at the end of verse 14 to the what to the praise of his glory that's the point i was saved by grace through faith to the praise of his glory you were saved by grace through faith to the praise of his glory when we come into worship we sing to the praise of his glory when we leave this building we're not bragging that we're better than everyone else we're saved because we're worse than everyone else it is not uncommon for god to save the worst guy in a community he did it with saul most self-righteous arrogant persecutor of christians that's why paul says this is a trustworthy saying deserving of full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world not to save religious people, but to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 
And at the end of that, he says, now to the king, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and praise. Can you imagine standing there in Gettysburg, weeping over your enemy? And say, that was an awful, awful day. You and I can stay here today, no matter how awful our day was, there was someone who had a worse day. Because it wasn't Gettysburg, it was Gethsemane. And it wasn't what we suffered, but it was what he suffered. And he suffered in our place for our sins that we might become the heirs of God. That's whether you're male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. You are heirs of God, children of God. Isn't that good news? Praise God. My dear friends, that's what we're celebrating on Reformation. We're not celebrating the Reformation. We're celebrating the resurrection. The crucifixion and the resurrection and the salvation that is ours and the second coming when he'll make all things new. Let's pray together. Now, God, our Father, as we bow together, a group of sinners saved by grace, we say with the Apostle Paul, to the King immortal, (laughs) he deserves all the glory. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this grace. We thank you for this salvation. We pray, dear God, that you would allow us to live in light of it now. We pray that many, many would be set free. We pray for those in Weagamau. We pray for those in Asia. We pray those in Lesotho. We pray, dear God, to the ends of the earth that you would show your glory and save by grace to the praise of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.